So this morning, as we work through chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, I have an outline for us that I want us to consider. We'll use it, but before I give this outline to you, I just want you to know, I, d- I want to rehearse a little uh, medical terminology with you. <laughs> I-, I told Carl this is going to be right up his alley. So cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Raise your hand. What is the abbreviation for cardio- cardiopulmonary resuscitation? <laughs> some people know it. Some people don't want to raise their hands. And so CPR, right? So what's CPR? That's when someone's more or less dead, their heart's not working, you administer cardiopulmonary resuscitation. You see why we call it CPR, don't you? <laughs> I never knew what, I didn't actually know it stood for anything. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, you administer CPR and then they come back to life, right? And today in our sermon, we're going to be looking at resurrection living. And you'll see that more clearly as we go on. But Paul's going to be describing resurrection living, a new way to live, a way to live that's based on resurrection, not the old way of death and destruction and decay. So so in the spirit of CPR, our three points are CPR. That's what they are. So the first one is command. We'll look at the command. That's chapter 2, verse 14. After we look at the command, we'll look at the purpose of the command. The purpose of the command, that's verses 15 through 18, so there's your P. And after we look at the command and the purpose of the command, we'll look at the reason for the command. The reason for the command, and that would be more or less verses 5 through 13 or so. Okay? So... Resurrection living, that's what we're going to be talking about. If I had to pick a title for the sermon, I always forget to do this, but Karen, I think she likes titles, and others like titles as well. Um, It'd be something like, Don't Grumble, Be Happy. Okay? (laughs) I think there's a Bob Marley song that was something like, Don't Worry, Be Happy. So we're going, Don't Grumble, Be Happy. So we'll start with our first point today. We'll look at the command. Chapter 2, verse 14. We'll look at the command. Chapter 2, verse 14 of Philippians reads in God's word, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I'll keep reading through the rest of the way, then we'll come back to the command. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice in me. So verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. There's the command. And that that is a command. He's giving you a command of how you should live your life. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. In the immediate context, I think it would be helpful for us to try to figure out where is this command coming from? Why is he telling you don't grumble? How does it fit within what he's been saying? It doesn't just come out of the blue. So if you look back at chapter 2, verse 5, 
Look back at chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Literally, in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Think the same things which is in Christ Jesus. Which way did Jesus think? Well, he tells you in the verses after that. He thought like a servant, right? He came as a servant, and he died for us. He was raised from the dead, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So think the same way. Think like a servant. Then, in verse 12, he says, Therefore, because of Jesus' servant activities, work out your salvation. In other words, be a servant. Put others' needs above your own. How do you do that? Chapter 2, verse 14. Don't grumble. So how does this work? When do you grumble? Whenever you don't get what you want, right? Why is that a problem? Because you're not acting like a servant. So you see how this is working? Think like a servant. Put others' needs above your own. Work that out. Live that out now like Jesus has shown you. What's one way to live the servant life? Live the life free of grumbling. Because grumbling means you put your own preferences over someone else's. And you're angry that your preferences weren't met. I think that's what's going on here. Okay? Second thing. We looked at the immediate context. What's going on? Learning how to live out the servant life. Secondly, the Old Testament background. The Old Testament background. And I think a lot of people here are going to know the answer to this question I'm going to ask because we talked a lot about this as we went through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Can you think of stories in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that involve grumbling? <laughs> Ken says no, sarcastically. <laughs> and everyone else says, oh yeah. And if you weren't with us during those sermons, you might not. But if you were with us, you heard a lot about grumbling. Kind of like over and over and over again. So just to refresh you, the children of Israel, and notice I used the word children, children of Israel were in the wilderness, and they grumbled for about 40 years straight. They grumbled over lack of meat and how they could only eat manna, Numbers chapter 11. They grumbled over lack of water, Numbers chapter 20. They grumbled because they grew impatient. They were ready to end their journey. Numbers 21. They grumbled because they could not enter into the promised land. Numbers 13 through 14. The kicker is they actually could go into the promised land. They just convinced themselves they couldn't. So then because they convinced themselves of a lie, they grumbled because they believed their own lie. It's like, I'm kind of twisted now. And they grumbled because God supposedly gave Moses too much authority. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question now. Can you think of a group of people who tend to grumble over what they eat, what they drink, if a trip takes too long, and if someone has more power than they do? Kids. Kids? Sounds like a bunch of children, isn't it? And that's how the narrative's presenting them. The numbers narrative is presenting this as a group of Lots of little grumbling, whiny children. I mean, grumbling about food. I mean, have you ever been to a dinner table with little kids? One of our children has been working through this lately. Fair name. And my 
think we're coming out ahead, Angela and I are. <laughs> and drinks. You know, I mean, they grumble about drinks, right? Like, why does my cup not look like their cup? <laughs> like, I don't know, because we only have one of that cup. Like, <laughs> they find all these things to, to grumble about, right? And it's, it's comical, but Moses is writing it to present them like children. And so Paul's using this background, and he's saying, do not be like the children of Israel. Be like the children of God. He's saying there shouldn't have been a difference back then. Back then, the children of Israel were not acting like who they really were. They were not acting like sons and daughters of God. They were grumbling against them all the time, not honoring their father. Live like children of God. Don't grumble against him. Be good children. Be good kids. All right, so now we move into a response time. Here's the command. We'll spend most of our time not on the command. I think you probably understand the command pretty well, right? So the command is, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And that word everything is just tough, isn't it? Everything. So I, I have a list here, and I was going to read through it, and I thought, some of you might think I'm singling you out. So I want you to know how I came up with this list. I just went online. I typed in, why do we grumble? The first list I saw, I just started copying things down. So I'm not singling anybody out here. I'm just singling out people, and we're all people. All right? Do everything without grumbling or complaining. And everything includes going to your job. Everything includes enduring the weather. Guilty, right? Everything includes experiencing slow internet. Or disconnected internet. Everything includes waiting longer than you care for in a drive through Why is it taking so long? Because there's cars in front of you. That's why. Everything includes receiving bad hours or a bad schedule from your work. Everything includes Monday. Just the whole day, Monday. <laughs> Everything includes having to do someone else's job. You shouldn't have to. And then when God makes the world new again, you won't. But he hasn't done it yet. <laughs> And everything includes listening to other people grumble. Because <laughs> they start grumbling, and then you start grumbling about how they're grumbling before you know it. We're not getting anywhere, are we? <laughs> We're grumblers. We're grumblers. We are. We're like little kids that haven't grown up sometimes. And so that's why Paul tells us, work out your salvation. Have a servant mindset. If you have a servant mindset, you're going to cut grumbling you're going to nip it off at the bud. That's what you're going to do. You will not be predisposed to grumbling because if you don't get your way, that's fine. Because you never wanted your way to begin with. You wanted the other person to get their way because you put their needs above your own. Like Jesus put your needs above his own. Okay? All right. So we're about to move on now to the heart of resurrection living. So we've seen the command, and now we need to see why we're given the command. Okay? Why are we given the command? So we'll look at the purpose and the reason. So first, like I said, we'll look at the purpose. So we've seen the command, seen the seat. 
Now we're going to move on to the purpose of the command, the, the, the P, all right? And that's in verses 15 through 18. So I'll read those now. The purpose of the command, verses 15 through 18. So that, you see how verse 15 begins with something like that? He's giving you the purpose. Why do you not grumble? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So why do we not grumble? What's the purpose for not grumbling? Well, I made a little list here, and I'll just tick through them now. And I'll say more about some and less about others. And there's, we're not even going get, to get close to saying everything we could say. I mean, there's, there is so much here. Um, there is so much here. So, verse 15. Do not grumble so that you may become blameless. Um, blameless means to be without fault. Without fault. It doesn't mean to be perfect. Okay, There is a difference. You might think, what is the difference between being without fault and being perfect? There is a difference. So let's say you're looking at some game somebody played, and they made, this happens in chess all the time, and somebody makes an incredibly logical move in chess. From a human perspective, from the human's ability to know things, the move is without fault. It makes perfect sense. But if you run that move through a high-tech computer, you will discover it is probably not a perfect move. But it's a good move. It might actually cost them the game. But you can't blame the guy for playing that move. You can't blame him for it. It's a blameless move. It's a without-fault move. It's good. So here's what he's saying. Don't grumble so you'll be without fault. Don't grumble so you'll be blameless. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you practically are. Which shows you how hard it is to not grumble. If you don't grumble, you're blameless. It sounds a lot like James chapter 3. If you can tame your, tame your tongue, you're perfect. Good luck. I mean, who here has ever grumbled when they didn't want to or not tamed their tongue when they should have? We all fall short, don't we? We all need forgiveness here. Secondly, he says we need to be not grumble so that we are pure. You might have innocent, and that's really the idea. Innocent. You're innocent here. Do not grumble so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault. This word without fault, it's the word used throughout the Old Testament for a sacrifice that was acceptable before God. Okay. So could you imagine being an ancient Israelite and you're going to bring your sacrifice to God? And you've got two choices. You can either get, bring God a good sacrifice, or you can bring like a healthy sheep, or you can bring him a sheep with three legs that has a disease and is blind. Which sacrifice would the Lord want? 
You know, right? What he said, what Paul's saying is, when you grumble, it's like you're becoming the three-legged, disease-ridden, blind sheep. You are not, you are not um, pure. So they translate it without fault. But it's the idea that you're like degrading yourself when you grumble. That's the picture here. Your life is not an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord when you're grumbling. It's like you're a bad sacrifice. That's what's behind the word here. Um, next, don't grumble so that you are children of God in the midst of a crooked and warped generation. Who doesn't grumble? The true people of God don't grumble. That's what this means. There's a warped and crooked generation of people out there, and they're all grumblers. Be the true people of God. Do not grumble. He's quoting Deuteronomy 32.5. Lastly, Paul spends a long time on this one. I say lastly is the order of the passage, not the order that I'm going to talk about them. Paul says, don't grumble so that I might be able to boast in God's grace on the day of Christ. You see this? He says in verse 16, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Don't grumble and throw away your faith. Don't reject your faith. Because then you won't be following Jesus. And when we're all before Jesus together, I want to say, hey, Jesus, look. Look at these people. They believe in you because of the grace you gave me. So if you fall away, it's like you're taking the grace of God flowing through me out of me. I won't be able to boast in the work that he accomplished through me if you don't keep going. So don't fall into grumbling. And lastly, the one I'm going to key in on. Paul says, if you don't grumble, you will, and I love this. So everybody, look at verse 15. Then you will shine among the world like stars in the sky. You will shine like stars in the sky. Isn't that just a cool picture here? And my golly, we could talk about this for a long time. And I think maybe we will one day in Bible with Brian. We might do stars throughout the whole Bible. It's a theme that is just glorious. It has everything to do with Jesus, who's the ultimate star. Stars are high and exalted, and they rain from heaven as they look down on you. And Jesus is high and exalted and raining from heaven. And we're supposed to carry that rain out on earth and be stars on earth. But for now, all I'll point out, initially at least, is that Paul is quoting Daniel chapter, two, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. And we need to look at that. So turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. If you're using one of the church-supplied Bibles... It's page 615. It's right after Ezekiel. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. So you're looking in that sweet spot there. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. We'll start in verse 2. So whenever you get it, you can just look up at me. And then I'll know, 
I am clear to proceed. We are ready for liftoff. Okay. We're pretty much all there. So Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. So sleeping in the dust means you're dead. Okay? That's what it means. So the multitudes who are dead will awake from their death. Some to everlasting life. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So this is really interesting. Daniel's looking forward to a day when those who are dead and have lived righteously before God will be raised from the dead. And when God raises you from the dead, you will shine as brightly as a star. Doesn't that just sound amazing? It sounds so cool. I'm not exactly sure why, but I want to shine as brightly as a star. I do. And what Paul is saying is, one day you will shine physically like a star. When God raises you from the dead, when you're a part of that world to come, you will shine like a star. And you need to start living like that now. You need to start living the resurrection life to come where you shine like stars, live that resurrection life, and live in the resurrection power today. How? I want to do that. How? Here's the, here's the how. Don't grumble. Seems a little anticlimactic, doesn't it? Resurrection power, shine like a star. How do I do it? Don't grumble. Oh, okay. Let's think about this just a little bit. I have a riddle for you to help us get into the right thought process. I've already said there's so much we could say about this, but as I, as I tried to figure out what's the best approach, this is, this is what I landed on. So here, here's my little, my little teaser for you, my little riddle. What do famous individuals in burning balls of gas in outer space have in common? What do famous individuals in burning balls of gas out in space have in common? If you know it, you can say it. They're stars. They're stars. Okay? We call these famous people stars. Why would we call them a star? Maybe you've never wondered that before. Seems a little strange to call a famous person a burning ball of gas. But we do. We do. Look at that burning ball of gas. That's a that's a white dwarf right there. You know, like it's a red red supergiant. It's strange. And I think the answer is not too hard to figure out because they stand out. They stand out from everyone else. Like you look over the stars and they, they stand out, don't they? And you look at these so-called stars and they stand out. That's what they do. So. Burning balls of gas, red supergiants, white dwarfs, neutron stars, important people. We have pop stars, we have movie stars, we have superstars, we have all stars. When I just heard this the other day, when Lydia gets a question right on her educational technology pad thing, she's a star. You know, you're a star, right, Lydia? Lydia gets tired of hearing it say it all the time. So we just throw this term around all the time. 
most successful pop star of all time? Michael Jackson. Three billion to his name. Second place is either Andrew Lloyd Webber or Paul McCartney. Andrew Lloyd Webber writes a lot of these Broadway plays, music for him. Paul McCartney's maybe the most famous Beatles member. Um, superstars. That's a, a sports term. When you see Michael Jordan, you're like, that's a superstar. You know, you don't know anything about basketball, but you know Michael Jordan played basketball. Movie stars. This is not adjusted for inflation. So I did not want to get that much into the weeds. Who is, and I don't think you'll get this, who's the number one movie star of all time based on earnings? Marilyn Monroe. Huh? Marilyn Monroe. No. 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 Samuel L. Jackson. Eight billion six hundred forty million one hundred fifty thousand nine hundred fifty dollars. He averages only fifty-seven million per movie. How does he make it? <laughs> Number two is Tom Hanks at just over eight billion. Poor guy. But he actually is averaging the highest per movie, ninety-four million per movie. And some of these guys are just voices. Now that we have computer animation, they just show up, talk for five hours, collect their check for 90 million, and walk out, you know? <laughs> These are stars, or so we call them, right? <laughs> These are our culture's stars because they stand out. Here's what's incredible in God's eyes, when that temptation to grumble comes your way, and you don't do it, you are a star in God's eyes. The one who made the stars looks past those stars he made, and he sees you trusting in him and not grumbling, and he goes, that's a star. That's a star. You see, my boy? You see, my girl? That's incredible. They stand out from the rest of the world, and it's true. It's so true. You want to stand out? You want to be a star? Don't grumble. Rather, to flip it and to say it positively, the book of Philippians would say, rejoice. Rejoice. That's what you do. That's what you do. And one day, one day you will live in a world where no one will ever grumble again. Get your head around that, okay? Get your mind around that. You will live in a world for trusting in Jesus and where no one will ever grumble again. And the goal, the hope, is to begin living that way now. So just be amazed at how God sees you. How much does God care about our Christ-based conduct? Grace-based behavior. Enough to call you a star. That's <laughs> so cool. This goes all the way back to Abraham. God tells Abraham, go out, count the stars if you can. He can't do it. God says, so will your children be. From the beginning, God's been waiting for a group of people to live like stars. What's amazing is by God's grace, it's you. It's you. And one day, you're going to light the world up. 
You're going to light the world up with the brightness of God's glory bouncing off of you. You're going to be a star. So, CPR, right? Cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Did I get that right? Um, so the C is the command. We've seen the command. We've seen the purpose. All right, and there's lots of purposes. And now we're going to look at the reason. What's the reason behind all of it? Why are we to live this way? So CPR, the command, the purpose, and now the reason for the command. Verses 5 through 11. Verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being or because being in the very nature of God, did not regard, did not consider, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't want. To, he didn't need to grasp it because he already was God. Rather, verse seven. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. What name is it? That at the name of Jesus, and that's not the name, he already had that one. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, there it is, Lord. He is Lord, Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, verse 12, Work out this salvation Jesus has done for you. How? Don't grumble. Don't grumble. That's how you live. That's one way to live your salvation out. It's one way to live it out. So what is the reason that we don't grumble? The grace of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus. As Joel was preaching through these verses a few weeks back, the, the thing that just kept going through my mind over and over, and I shared this with you all, was what more could Jesus give? What more could he do that he did not do? What else was there for him to give to us? He left heaven. He was born naked and homeless, right? In a feeding trough. He gets rejected his whole public ministry. He's got 12 people that are his disciples and one of them betrays him for not even all that much money. I mean, it's just not good. He dies in quite possibly the worst form of torture ever existed, naked, while being berated publicly. Okay? So that we might know God. So that we might have a chance. So that way he could purchase our faith and make us alive in him. Bearing our punishment so that we can be free. Even though we deserve to be judged. God did this for you, says Paul. 
So I'm hearing Joel preach this, and I'm thinking, what else is there that he could give? What else is there that Jesus could do? And now he's raised up on high, ruling in your behalf. And one day he'll clean the world up, and we will co-reign with him. I don't exactly know what it looks like, but it's going to be good. And I'm just left there wondering, what else could he do for us? And that's what makes this application of don't grumble make so much sense. Why do we grumble? Because we don't get what we want. That's why we grumble. Think of a reason why you grumble, and it fits under that idea. You don't get what you want. Why were the Israelites grumbling? They didn't get what they want food-wise. They didn't get what they want leadership-wise. They didn't get what they want um, drinking-wise. They didn't get what they want in all these different ways. And so they grumble. And why do you grumble? Because you're not getting what you want. And here Paul looks at you and he says, Do you see what God has done for you? What more could you want? What do you think you deserve? You didn't deserve the death of Jesus. And yet you got it. You got all you could ever hope for. There's nothing else he could do for you that he hasn't done. And now you grumble? Like you deserve more? You see how crazy this is, right? You see how it's all working together, right? You say, but you don't know how people treat me. And you say, I don't. We grumble because people treat us poorly. But just wait. One day, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus is Yahweh. And he will straighten all of those people out. <laughs> he will. We grumble because we feel like things aren't fair. And they're not. <laughs> they're not. You really are treated poorly. Things really aren't fair. But just wait, because one day Jesus will right every wrong. One day... One day, the scales of justice will actually be level. Okay? They will be. This world is so messed up. I could go into a story once of how my father was treated by a cop. The whole thing is just insane. He's beaten up by a cop for doing nothing wrong. My father was. And he himself is a former police officer. This is crazy. Okay? It's not just. Can I grumble about that? No. Instead of grumbling, trust. Trust that King Jesus will fix it. We grumble because we don't like how difficult life is. We grumble because we don't get what we want. Here's the point. When we grumble, we're saying Jesus is a bad king. That's what you're doing. When you grumble, you're saying Jesus is a bad king. And he's not. He's the most beautiful, self-sacrificing king in history. Jesus is a good king. And so I just want you to see your king once again. After this passage, we move on to travel plans and stuff like that. We're kind of starting a new section. So before we move on, just see King Jesus one more time. God himself, the best king ever, 
leaves his heavenly throne and without losing his godness puts on his humanity so that you might give glory to God because he deserves it and he's worthy. And you glorifying God is for your good. And Jesus took the back seat so that way you could be ushered into his presence. And so, when things come your way, and you could grumble about it, by all means, take the appropriate steps to fix the problem. Do that. Don't misunderstand me. But when the problem doesn't go away, what will you do? Here's what you do. You say, I trust my king. He's given me everything I could want. What more could I ask for? I'm not going to grumble and make it look like he's a bad king. I'm going to stand out from the rest of this sea of grumbling. I'm going to shine like a star. And I'm just going to say, instead of joining in the grumbling party, I'm just going to say, isn't it great we have jobs? And they're going to look at you funny. That's okay. So, this is resurrection living. This is the resurrection life. The life that says Jesus is raised from the dead, and so I'm going to live in light of that. I'm not going to grumble. I'm going to trust that he's a good king, and I'm going to live a resurrection life. So, CPR. Got it? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for the command to not grumble. Because when I grumble, I'm never happy. I'm never happy. And you want me to be happy in Christ Jesus. I thank you that your son has given us, given us all we could ask for. There is nothing he withheld from us. And we say with your word in Romans chapter 8, if God did not spare his own son, how then will he not also freely give us all things? And so, Father, instead of grumbling, we with Paul rejoice. Paul, who was on the verge of dying in prison, was rejoicing because he knew that to die was gain. And, Father, we rejoice. We rejoice because Jesus is king. And he's on the throne, and people can say what they want, but a day of reckoning will come. Save them before they are forced to bow the knee. And thank you that we have no need to grumble, because we have nothing else to ask for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.